Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Justin, aka Just Tries, and we're always talking about vulnerability, goals, and growth mindset. No outside sponsors just yet, so we'll take the time to say go to justkeeplearning.ca to find coaching and content geared toward helping you set goals and chase your dreams. Our guest today became a broadcaster, blogger, and business owner all before the age of 16. He's built a social media giant in Hoops Nation and works with the NBA, record labels, athletes, and artists to increase their digital impact. But most importantly, he is a great example of following your dreams while being a good person along the way. We got to talking about school, dealing with the haters, how to start as a rapper, and building businesses from a young age. Please welcome to the first ever episode of Learn, Buster Share. In terms of what you do, because there's so many things, how would you explain yourself to people? Yeah, so I think it's like how I always explain it is I break it down by by a couple different pieces. So like the main pillar piece uh, is my personal brand. So my personal brand and, you know, underneath that falls my podcast and it falls all of my personal content. Underneath that falls my businesses as well, which are Hoops Nation, which is my version of what I want a basketball media platform to be, you know, for the demographic and you know, by that same demographic. Um, you know, all the meme content, the highlights, stuff that I'm enjoying consuming more, more than anything else. And then I judge that based off, off the performance of some of that stuff. Um, and then off the side of that, so that's TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, 20 plus posts per day um, on each of the platforms. Uh, and then underneath that is, is kind of like where I do some of the more, it happens because of Hoops Nation, but it couldn't happen without my personal brand, the consulting that I do. So helping, you know, like-minded brands and individuals, you know, run their social and, and are able to do, you know, some of the things that they want, getting the eyeballs that they want and, and making it fun and, you know, socially optimized. Um, so then there's that. And then there's speaking stuff that I do, uh, as well as some of the work with, with music labels, both through Hoops Nation and, you know, on the personal side helping majority hip hop artists, um, distribute their, their songs, um, across social kind of a combination of all those things. Um, and then I'm involved in a couple other weird things. Like I'm super into sports cards right now. So I have a whole subsidiary underneath hoops nation called cards nation where I'm going pretty, I always like literally, I always have cards right by my side. Um, uh, so I've been getting pretty interested in that lately. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's it's kind of an amalgamation of all of that. But if there's anything you want to dive deeper in, for sure. Well, I think the cards is cool. I've seen some of the lives. Yeah. I think it's neat. It's definitely a cool direction to take it in. Um, yeah, I mean, we can jump down rabbit holes for sure. Um, that just made me think of Eminem. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know hip-hop's a big part of the culture and stuff that you work with. Did you kind of miss Eminem in terms of like somebody you look up to in high school? Or like, was that a different generation for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm too young, I think. Like, I remember, like, I was young on when he was dropping, like, you know, berserk. Like, you know, like, I missed, like, I missed it, you know? Like, obviously, you can go back and review the tapes, but it's not the same as everybody talking about it and playing it nonstop. I remember when that came out, though. Like, I have a couple memories of, like, where I was when that happened. But apart from that, I don't really have any Eminem attached. Um, it's more like Drake, you know, 2010, 11, 12, 13. Drake was like my 
you know, beginning of like youth listening to like music on my own, you know? And why do you think in that case, Drake is someone that really spoke to you as an artist or like, why, why did you enjoy that? I think it was the first music that I listened to where I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like before that I was listening to what like cousins gave me on like their, they happened to have on their phones. They put it on my iPod. Um, you know, so I was, I didn't, I, it, I, I just wasn't, nobody in my family listened to it. Nobody in my extended family listened to it. So I had no attachment. The only way I found out about it in the first place was through uh, my, must've been like my, seventh or eighth grade basketball team you know yeah and that's what they're listening to so it's like all right i gotta check this guy out and i don't even know how i got the music because because i don't think streaming platforms were a thing yet um back then um maybe from youtube i don't i don't, I don't know how i was listening to the music but i had maybe i bought the album on itunes um probably like take care era uh and and that was kind of that was kind of it. Definitely still love listening to those. It brings me back. Yeah, it's cool. Well, I think for in terms of the audience, I know that your story is well documented. If people haven't heard kind of your upbringing and your business life and those kinds of things, there's tons of episodes I can point them to. So I hope we can maximize your time and value for the audience by going somewhat rapid fire questions that might really help them in practical terms. Um, and one thing that I am building my work on is three educational leaders, I guess. And that's Brene Brown, Carol Dweck, and Seth Godin. So to start with... That's, do you uh, know my Seth story? I do, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. good. Good. It's good, though. I love it's a good story. Um, do you want to tell it? Um, yeah, Seth is the first person that told me I wasn't going to go to college. That's kind of like the crux of it, but I didn't even, I didn't even think that was a possibility. And Seth was like, if I had to guess, like casually, he was like, if I had to guess, you're not going to go to college. I was like, what? <laughs> and then he ended up being very correct. So uh, shouts out to Seth. Yeah. And so for me, I followed his work for long before that. And it's always been a struggle for me to package what he professes in terms of stop stealing dreams, right? Like that's my favorite quote of his is the idea of not stealing dreams from you. And that's why I can only imagine how that conversation went. He would have been so supportive and he gets it, right? But a lot of youth have no idea what the heck we're talking about. If we try and help other kids like you with that idea of being able to dream big and go after their goals, how realistic do you think that is for other people too? I think it's super realistic. I think especially in your youth, that's the best time to execute on stuff. And I understand you have school and you have this and you have that, but you have one thing that nobody else in the world has, and that is no overhead. <laughs> you have no overhead when you're super young. Um, and and that's, that's really a beautiful thing. And I think it gives you a lot of room to, to execute. I think um, one of the biggest reasons that I find that you struggle with that, in my experience, is a lack of willingness to be vulnerable. And that's the other person whose work I look up to a lot is Brene Brown. And she teaches that vulnerability, like put yourself out there and just do things, right? Just try things. And so obviously you're good at that. Do you think that was somewhat natural or did you have to grow into being able to um, figure those things out, dealing with the haters, dealing with bullies? 
I was always just so enamored with being able to try that I didn't really like it didn't like because I you know in, in part like understood where they were coming from because most of like the quote-unquote hate that was directed to me was just like yo who's this 13 year old kid with braces telling me why LeBron is the goat <laughs> it's like I, I I get it I can't I can't deny how ridiculous that seems on paper. So I, I understand that, but I was just having fun. Like, I'm not going to stop having fun, especially when I understand where they're coming from. And I, I like in part agree. Like if I saw some, you know, I would think the same thing. I wouldn't say it obviously, but I'd be like, that's kind of, that's abnormal. <laughs> uh, you know? Yeah. So I, uh, I, I can't blame anybody. It's not like anybody was coming at me saying for the most part, saying anything insane it was mostly just about you know not taking me seriously there was a lot of there still is that but but yeah I, I was really just just in love with it and I, I think people have to just find their own version of that find what you're really in love with and you know do it and you'll come out on top you know especially when you put in the time it's definitely a fascinating thing and if we could bottle whatever the answer is then we'd be billionaires many times over. And not only that, a lot of youth mental health and a lot of kids would be more successful, I think, figuring out how to see that and do it instead of suffering because maybe they know that they love singing, but they're not willing to try it because they're scared, you know? It's clear that you have a lot of empathy for people. And I know you've talked openly about not being a fan of drugs and alcohol and those kinds of things. But what I appreciate that you've said is that you've said you understand why other people do it. Because I teach youth with severe addictions in one of the units that I work at. And so I see that it doesn't discriminate, right? I see why people go down that route. But what do you think, because this is one of my big whys for me, is what do you think we could do earlier on in people's lives to try and help them not go down that route? Yeah, something that I think, and I think it goes back to like, uh, you know, how do, we, how do we help the youth on like just discovering their passion and executing on that side? I think everybody at a very young age, knows what they love. And most people don't think that they know what they love. But the truth of the matter is, whatever you spend the most time doing, that's what you love. Turn it into a business. Try. So I think that is the answer. You help, like, so he's into video games? All right. Teach him how to turn it into a business. Teach him how to stream. Teach him how to do this and that. It's not like 1973, you know, where you have to work (laughs) at McDonald's. You know, like, teach the kid how to stream. Like, you can do it off of any school computer. Like you can, like there are ways to get around everything. So I, I think it's more just being supportive of the time that we're in and the passions that, that kids have um, and leading them down that path. Because I, the, the reason why I, I look at, you know, drugs and, and alcohol and things like that in the way that I do is just because I, I don't think it helps with your efficiency. Like that's like, apart from it being bad for you and it, it, you know, hurting your health, like it's not efficient. And at the end of the day, if something is, is efficient or is not efficient, but you, you have to make the conscious decision, go the efficient route if you want to do well in whatever endeavor you want to do. So I think it's really just about putting people in a position where they, where they have, uh, you know, a goal at the end where they can always go the efficient route. Yeah, for sure. You went all mamba mentality on me there. And I had a Colby question queued up for later, obviously, because, you know, it's been a, crazy year, but he's often spoke about that, that you don't have to tell a kid what they're good at or what they're interested in, but so Mm. often it gets beaten out of them. 
So one of the other big things that he talks about is the idea of persistence and resilience in the face of your dreams and goals, like looking at the big ass mountain and being willing to take the first step, but also the hundredth step and stuff like that. When a lot of people look at your work, they're going to see success and they're going to see um, all the W's, but not the L's maybe. What do you have to say about the importance of persistence even once you've found your passion? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely an element of doing it for the right reasons. Like when I first started on Facebook or whatever, I had you know, I was doing it for a year every single day and I had 500 followers. You know, so it's like I did it just because I enjoyed it. I didn't do it. You know, like getting a million followers on Instagram was my goal when I joined Instagram after I had already been doing it for three years. Right. You know, like there was definitely my goal from the beginning was to have like enjoy the process of building it. And I think teaching that the process is more fun than the end result. Anyways, like I'm now coming up and like TikTok, the Hoops Nation TikTok way surpassed the Instagram. And that's at like two and a half million, but the Instagram is almost at a million, which was my original goal. And, you know, to be honest, nothing different. And I'm like at the goal, like it's about to be achieved. And the fun part was getting there, you know? So I think that's, that's what has to be, has to be preached. Yeah, that's true. Making sure that you actually intrinsically enjoy it is so important. Real quick, like when the kid has, like when the kids that we're talking about starts like streaming, when they have no viewers, like enjoy it because one day you all have no viewers. So one question I get a lot is if after two months, I don't think I enjoy it, do, should I stick with it? Or is it a good sign that I should go find another thing? And like, do you, do you enjoy, like, do you have fun doing it? If the answer is yes, then yes. The answer is no, you don't enjoy it anymore. Then the answer is no. You got to find the next thing you enjoy and bounce from thing you enjoy until you enjoy it forever or for a 10-year period, you know, so you can actually build something substantial because that's, that requires time. Like nothing, you know, worthy is going to happen in six months. So I know on that note, Jocko Willink talks a lot about um, when we pursue our passions, there will be times where there's things we're not going to enjoy about it, right? Unless we have the money to just outsource things or what have you. Do you think that it is possible that you enjoy pretty much the majority of the, the work if you find that right thing? Yeah, I think majority. There will always be pieces, like aspects of it. Like, you know, I'm sure there's somebody out there, but, you know, like doing the finance side like the structure and the taxes for your business like that is not you know what what most people would imagine fun uh, especially since that is just an additive to what, what 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 comes with whatever business you're doing but i think you can definitely enjoy 75 plus percent of what you're doing if it's something you really love that's cool i like putting a number on it because it allows people to do that sort of life audit um, you mentioned TikTok, so let's talk clout for a second. Um, oh <laughs> you, <laughs> no, I mean, the reason I ask is, listen, like, I don't have a podcast at the time of this recording. I will. Wow. That's I'm, awesome. I'm going to, you know, surpass that whole everyone gives up after seven episodes thing. Why did you take this interview? Uh, I, for a couple of reasons. One is I love having my thoughts documented especially when it's not that much work on my end. So like, for example, like on my podcast, it's mostly documenting the thoughts of other people because it, and it is a conversation. There's a lot of me in there, but you know, I'm 
me. So I'm, and the guest normally isn't asking me questions. So it's usually coming from the same perspective on my end. Um, but when I go on other podcasts, it comes from somebody else's perspective. And I think that brings out something new from a thought standpoint. And then the fact that that's going to be out there on the internet for anybody to discover, I really like. Two, everybody's a different audience than me. And, and three, kind of back to one, I want to be able to call back on it for like video use um, in like five years. That's, that's really why. Um, and, you know, you seem like an awesome dude. So, you know, I was obviously, you know, happy, especially, you know, getting this podcast off the ground to, to come on and I'll be excited to, to promote it as well. I appreciate that. I mean, collaboration is definitely something that you've brought up in other interviews and maybe that's a similar answer. But when I ask you about collaboration, why do you think collaborating as opposed to going yourself is so important? I think from a, from a growth standpoint, you have to do it. You have to, you know, branch into other audiences and help them, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully that's reciprocated. I don't really put too much thought into it just because of how much I believe, you know, it's a necessity. Um, because it's one or both. Like it's, you do it on your own and you collaborate or you just do it on your own. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a no brainer in my opinion to put yourself out to, out to an audience of, of other people. So I think that ties into kind of having underdogs like me being able to work with people who are already successful like you. And while I agree with everything you said, there are certain people who will kind of not jump on this because it's like, well, let me know once you have however many downloads a month or whatever. So that brings up the idea of the underdog in my mind. And this is who I teach on the daily because I go into jails, addictions facilities, uh, mental health hospitals, teen moms, homeless, group homes. That's the youth that I work with. Now, in terms of what you've talked about before, having those teen years without overhead as the opportunity to make not just millions, but tens of millions, like that goal. If I put you in my shoes, I walk into a jail and ask a kid what his passion is. And he tells me it's to be a rap artist or to be a streamer gaming Call of Duty, whatever. It doesn't matter. But he yeah. wants to do that. What is kind of the, the workflow, if you were in my shoes, that you would take him through from starting to finishing building that actual dream? Yeah. So let's say, uh, it's a really good question. Let's say it's somebody who wants to be a rapper, right? Who doesn't have anything, but, uh, but wants to do that. Um, what I would, fir first thing I would do is have them study the market if they want to be doing like rap. So like pay actual attention to like the Drake and the Travis Scott and like the little baby, like the Gunna, like the Roddy Rich, like whoever is popping like pay attention to like them and like their lyrics and how their stuff is done. And then the next thing I would do is I would just start, I would just, I would have them start writing. Like I would have them start writing and just taking super basic instrumentals and, you know, voice memo recording and uploading it on SoundCloud, you know, make it like, you know, 60 seconds of, you know, let's say the, the dude's name is uh, like, his rap name is like Jack J. So Jack J is now going to do 30 second bars three times a day. And he's going to take the audio and put it on his Instagram and Snapchat and all that. And, you know, once he gets a hundred followers, he's going to find somebody else with a hundred followers and he's going to do a, a song with them. And then when he's at 200 followers, he's going to find somebody with 200 followers that he likes. He's going to do a song with him. And it's start like, 
it just starts happening like that for somebody that's willing to put in that work. And I, I think the barrier of entry really is just a phone. Like you just need a phone. So that, that would be my example of what I would do if I was in your position talking to him and he wants to be a rapper. That's something that Seth Godin talks a lot about, right? Just continually ratcheting it up until you can get that leverage and stuff. Um, yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get lucky and you get a, or not lucky, you know, you work for it, but you know, you are able to hit somebody a lot higher um, and you get that big collab and it's over, you know? Yeah. They often get wrapped up in that sort of business side of how am I going to bring money in? How am I going to pay bills? And I know Gary, obviously, you know, is one of the people that you've looked up to over the years too, in terms of Gary V. He talks a lot about that idea of whoever can hold their breath the longest in business is going to win mm-hmm. versus there are a lot of people and I can appreciate that there are bills to pay. Where do you lie on that argument about trying to build business monetization streams and revenue at some point versus just continuing to create? Like the reason I love the school example so much and like youth is because there's no overhead. You don't have to. And then you can allocate all time in the day like I did. Like during class, I didn't pay attention to school. So I was just in class doing the other stuff. And then when I was out of class, I was doing the other stuff. Um, but for somebody who does have to do, like have, has to work a little bit, do that. And then in the time that you do have, allocate it to it. That, that's really where I lie. I would never want somebody to not be able to survive, you know, to chase their passion. Um, but I do think you can do both. And in, in terms of like holding your breath for a long time, once you're like starting to build up. Yeah. I, I believe in that. I believe in, um, in not forcing, you know, money to come, like not doing things that are spammy or don't fit the brand that you're trying to build. Um, just for a quick dollar at the beginning, it's worth holding out and then selling out your merch, you know, doing something that's organic. Um, it's just worth it. And another thing that I borrow from Gary that I'd love your insight in is he talks a lot about not necessarily having a niche. In fact, this year he's gone super passionate on like, you don't need a niche. Your niche is you and it becomes you if you're willing to be authentically you. Now you started with a basketball brand pretty specific. I know Mm -hmm. bounce to other sports back to basketball. Where do you lie on the argument? Because I hear a lot of people saying constantly, oh, I'm struggling to find what my niche is and I'm struggling to niche down. I I always try to do the opposite. Like I think if you do start out in a niche like I did with basketball, great. Build a super strong core around a subject that you're passionate about. And I always will be passionate about basketball. But then you start to create these other things like I did for my podcast and like the sports cards and doing all these different things that like, all right, now there are four niches and then in a year there'll be 10 niches and then 20 niches. And then all of a sudden you're the rock and you appeal to everybody. Like the rock doesn't have a niche. (laughs) Like what, like what is the rock's niche? You know? Yeah. I don't know him well, but maybe kindness. (laughs) Right. Something like that. Yeah. I can empathize. You know, it's uh, it's so new for me in this space. And I almost made my handle no niche or something like that because like, I was just trying to stress, like, don't worry about it, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting to see. So going back to those early days for you, though, it was a blog. And I know that you um, struggled with dyslexia and ADD. And I can relate so much to the idea of not paying attention at all in school. Kids that I see in mainstream schools, I, it's the same thing for them. 
how do you feel about written word and blogging today when people say like maybe blogging's dead or those kinds of things? Uh, I definitely think there is value in really good writers, especially right now, because not a lot of people are doing it. Not a lot of people are interested. Everybody's you know, focused on memes and videos and stuff like that. Um, I think in the future, really good writers, bloggers will hold a lot more value because it flipped. Like four years ago, if you asked me like what's, which is more valuable, like somebody on social media or like a really good writer, I would say a really good writer and that flipped. Um, so that means it's going to flip back. Yeah. The pendulum swings to me, this is kind of like a, the moment you've all been waiting for time because I think getting into sports a little bit would be cool. Obviously it's a big passion of yours. Why is hockey better than basketball? (laughs) (laughs) Terrible question. Um, it it isn't. And I've never played hockey. I've never, although one one thing I will say, I've never been, uh, actually I've been to one hockey game. Um, but it was kind of as a joke because it was an Islanders game and everybody in, (laughs) so ridiculous, this one Islanders game every year at Barclays Center, uh, everybody dresses up as referees. And we all, we all, I was one of them, got put on the ref shirt, stood up in the top section, and everybody goes in a ref shirt and cheers for the refs instead of one of the teams. So when the refs come out, everybody goes crazy. Whenever they make a call, everybody's going crazy. That is really my one main experience with hockey. Um, it was fun, but, but yeah. There's uh, so many parallels, comparisons you can draw between sports and so much in life. Growing up as an athlete, for me, that was the case. Do you think there's a lot that people could learn about business from sports? I definitely think from certain things, like, you know, just how much time you have to put in, like the basic stuff that makes an athlete an athlete. But I do think it's mostly from the business end of sports. Right. Did you get early access to the Bulls documentary? I didn't. I wish I did. Man, that would be amazing. Maybe they'll think of you for the next one. But uh, in the doc, Michael says that the shot was one of those moments where it really gave him the confidence to like know that he could succeed, which I think is crazy to hear Michael Jordan say. When we're trying to give youth or anybody really entering the world of their passions, how important are those moments where you build confidence? Oh, super. And I think that's, you know, you just got to put people, like if you're trying to help people find that, you have to put them in positions where they can succeed, you know, and, and also get better. So it's like, it's a combination of putting them in a position that they'll do well, but also giving them the challenge of competing against people a lot better than you, because that's how you actually become good. Earlier, when I mentioned educators that I look up to, Carol Dweck with Growth Mindset is one of them. You've talked openly about not fitting in maybe to the high school stuff per se, but I don't know if you noticed this, but you mentioned learning in so many of your interviews. What do you think some tips for people to learn would be in your mind? In a 2020 world, just explore. Every piece of information is online. That's why like right now, to me, college, like I don't, I, don't, I don't understand college right now because all the information that you're being, like the one thing that I'm like, okay, college is good is okay, you're around cool people and you're in person and you're creating like quality relationships and you're having fun. And you're learning. I get it. That's fine. I'm not, it's not for me. It's not for a lot of people, but I get it. I don't get <laughs> you paying a hundred thousand dollars a year to learn to be taught information that you could easily discover online on your own. 
um, from home. I don't get it. Yeah. And that's why I think colleges are. So I can't even play devil's advocate because I agree with you. But what I can do because I'm around it all the time is bring up why other people say it's so important is because they don't believe that youth can find those resources or that so many of them struggle and they need someone to curate for them. I think it comes back to money. They just want more money, 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 money. I'm I'm talking parents and teachers and people uh, at the high school level who are trying to support them. They don't know any different, right? Like the adults don't know any different. They're doing what they know how to help them or how they think they're helping. I was going to leave this for later, but like, to me, that's a huge question. Whether we bring in the Kobe Mamba mentality stuff around learning or Seth Godin, your experience, what do you think we could do to help guide them to find those resources? I think we have to teach a couple things. We, number one, we have to teach networking. Like networking should be a class in like third grade. Like you should teach how to properly network in today's world because for me, nobody taught me that, but I just fortunately discovered it on my own through the internet. But you can connect with anybody. You can connect with like-minded. You can learn things from other people. You know, that is a skill that should really be hammered down, you know, and, and taught from a young age. So I think that's a big one. And they also have to teach you how to discover stuff on your own. Like, like honestly, there should be $100 lists that, you know, show you that are like linked up to like where you can learn about this, 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 and this. And all right, cool. You paid a hundred dollars for somebody to do the work for you. Right. You know, and then you're able to discover everything on that course that you would have on your own time, you know, when you're not working on that other passion. Like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about taking like an online, like doing research on like online accounting. Cause I want to understand that because I think it's valuable and that's not something that, you know, I'm going to learn from social media, but I also don't think I have to learn it from a college, you know, yeah. so it's just teaching people that that is a possibility because currently that's not, it's not even taught as an option. Yeah. Like my original goal two years ago was YouTube. It was like, well, let's just use YouTube. But then it's like when it's free and it's also so wide, people get lost, you know, they get lost in, in an ocean. And I don't mean me, the creator. I mean, people trying to find it. I think the big value is how do we help support these youth around the world really into these support systems? You know, you got me off on a tangent now. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, I appreciate hearing that, especially from your standpoint, which is very different and much more experienced than mine. So I, I, I enjoy hearing it. Yeah, it's going to be cool. We'll get there. Yeah. So in sports, I think we all have a couple of things. We have um, people that we look up to in terms of heroes for one. So who are some of those people for you? Oh, it's, I, it's a couple of things. One, it's the guys that I'm buying their sports cards. <laughs> so guys that are like partial investments, you know, I'm just like, woo. <laughs> but um, it's also, it's also like the LeBrons, the Kobe's, the Jordans, the guys that to me are what like greatness is. Like, I never looked up to like presidents that way. I never looked up to like business people that way. It was always just like, like I want to be LeBron, you know? <laughs> Um, like I was never, there's nobody else that it was like LeBron and then Carmelo. Cause I'm a huge Knicks fan and like Amari Stoudemire and like, you know, all these old Knicks. It was like, those were the guys that I just wanted to be. There was, there, there was nobody else that I want to be. So I, I think those, those are, those are some of the things. And it's funny because I don't like nowadays, I don't 
only some of those guys, if they're still around, I'll still like respect them a lot, but I, I don't look up to them in the same way. And for a lot of the, the younger players, like I know a lot of them and they're just like me. They're just normal dudes that play video games and play basketball. They're just much taller than I am and much better than I am. <laughs> yeah, fair. But you'll still drop some points in the all-star game someday. One day, yeah. That'd be fun. What keeps you so motivated at this point? I think it's a couple of things. Um, one is just wanting to expand and make things more efficient. Um, and I, I really do think that's most of it, actually. I think it's wanting to like cut down on the time that I'm spending on each thing, because right now I'm spending all day on everything. Um, but I want to be able to get it, like a lot of stuff outsourced so that I don't have to do that. So I'm really looking forward to when that's, when that's up and running, because then I'll be able to be like, I'll just be able to spend time on other things. Business is always about evolution, not like those one-time wins. You started on Facebook, but then it's evolved. Where do you see Facebook today in terms of business strategy? I think it's a lot better now than it was two years ago. Because when I left Facebook, right, I had videos that were getting 50 million views and all of a sudden can't get 10,000 views because they diluted organic reach to where you couldn't get any viewers. You could, your own followers couldn't see your own posts because they were prioritizing the feed for advertisers. So unless you were spending money, nobody was going to see anything. Uh, so I was like, okay, let me go somewhere else. So I went to Snapchat and then Instagram and now TikTok. But I think Facebook is great. I use it just through cross-posting and stuff is doing well again somehow. I don't know how, but it's doing well. Um, and I just, whenever I post on Instagram, it cross-posts on Facebook. I don't even go on at the Facebook app. So still can be valuable. Totally. Okay, let's talk live stream for a second because I know that's a lot of what you do. Why do you like live stream? Uh, unfiltered, you know, takes down the, like, you put out a video, right? So like my podcast, for example, it exchanges hands like four times before anybody sees it, you know? And it's like a lot of back and forth and a lot of time and an edit and like I question the edit and I question it. Um, and, and so I hate that first and foremost. So I love live streaming for that. But also my background's in broadcasting. Broadcasting is very live. So I just love just talking to people and engaging people and, and talking in, in you know, live action. Um, and I can't wait for Instagram to improve their live streaming functions. TikTok has it great. Twitch has it great. Facebook has it good. I, I love that they added uh, donations for uh, charities on Instagram Live. I think that was a really big step. But I think they're they, their next step is going to be adding it for creators as well. So they can have a Twitch model, you know, where people actually spend long times and make shows around it. Because I think live content is the best content. I really believe that because it's just a different level of connection to it. But certain things obviously should be recorded and edited, but not necessarily everything. You tend to go live on Instagram. Do you go live on all the platforms? Yeah, I'll, I'll alternate. So I'll go live on just TikTok, on just Hoops Nation. Then I'll go live on just Buster on Instagram. Then I'll go live on just Hoops Nation on Instagram. Um, I'm going to get into Twitch probably soon, probably after, after quarantine. But yeah, I, I stick to one at a time. Also, out of respect for the viewers too, because I don't want to be like my, like my eyes, like I'm talking to you, my eyes aren't on another stream, you know, my eyes are on your yeah. question. So I, I just think it's a respect thing as well. Yeah, I like that. That's why I've gone to just Instagram. Even if four people show up, it's cool, you know. Super cool. It's like you're speaking to a class, bro. Yeah, yeah, that's it's true. Um, 
you mentioned Twitch. It's always been on this kind of thought of like, because my goal, similar to what Colby was wanting to do, is how do we bridge mainstream media and culture and learning? How do we get these together? Do you think Twitch would be a legitimate platform for that? Mm, maybe. I think there are a lot of distractions on Twitch, which isn't good. But I think the idea of Twitch is, I think there should be a new platform. But I do like the idea of having it on a fun platform with like fun associations like Twitch. It's like, yo, I'm going on Twitch. I'm about to learn something real quick. Catch you in 30. You know, like I kind of like that instead of like, yo, I'm going on Khan Academy. <laughs> you know, it's like, exactly. it's not that, yeah. it's not that like it, it's dope, but it's not like it doesn't have dope associations. So um, I do think that would be interesting. Uh, it would be interesting. I, yeah. I'm not opposed to that. I just think the, the education has to be really good. It has to be like, I'm waiting for like people with insane budgets to like Game of Thrones education, bro. Yeah, no, for sure. It's like, I've said this all the time. I'm like Netflix, Amazon, beyond venture back things, these massive giants are leaving a lot on the table by not entering the world of education. Um, you could argue it is the biggest industry in the world. <laughs> you could argue that. The only thing that everybody has to do, pretty much. I mean, apart from like food. Yeah, for sure. Which is so, I mean, like I said, we could talk forever about that kind of stuff. One platform versus planting flags everywhere when someone's beginning on social media. What do you think? One platform for the first month and, you know, take that and, and put it elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think you always want to be diversified on all platforms, make content for all platforms, but I don't think that necessarily needs to come at the very beginning. I was just one platform for years before I was on other platforms. What's the best business advice you've ever been given? I don't know if I was, I was given this, but I just learned it and I would give it to myself is that, you know, everything takes 10 times longer than you think it will. I've heard you say that you want to be the biggest sports influencer in the world. You yeah. might already be. <laughs> I don't know who, like, I, I obviously that's kind of like a gray area thing. The question really yeah. though is why is it important to dream big versus staying small and kind of letting the world decide what you're going to do, you know? Yeah, I think you have to have some sort of, you know, vision towards what, like, if you're not building for anything, then you're not building for anything. Um, largest sports influencer though. I don't know if I, if I necessarily feel the same way now as when I, as when I said that, um, that would be great. But I, I think the goal is more so just to have a positive impact to a very large audience, not necessarily specifically in sports, but just in general. And I, I, that's, that's more what I'm building towards and through a lot of mediums and, and really just being able to, you know, like one of the people I, I look up to that I don't talk about as much as like a Joe Rogan, for example, who did the whole podcast thing on his own and was able to talk to anybody in the world like that. That's the super, like superpower I value way higher than money because that's yeah. learning. Like you can, like he can learn from anybody in the world like that. He's talking about how he was just casually on the phone with Kanye asking him questions. That's a superpower that I would rather have than a billion dollars. The youth that I'm going in and trying to support, they think of this idea of like $100,000 and it just blows their mind. And I think it's, it's cool to keep reminding them of that though, that money's not everything. Important. You are really authentic and humble. Uh, I think that that rings true on all the platforms and everything you put out there. Why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. I think I never, I think it's a couple of things. One, I think something scary that happens on social media is when somebody quote unquote blows up. I don't think that's a good thing at all. I think that's 
a disaster for somebody's career. I think if somebody like you just start on TikTok and you had a 25 million view video, I think that's the worst thing that could have happened to you because it creates this unsustainable level of success from the beginning. And it all comes too quick. You get fame really quick. Therefore, you lose fame really quick. You don't have an infrastructure to build things behind it. And you're going to go crazy trying to keep up with that and trying to match that. Like after you, you put out your first video, it gets 25 million views. What the hell do you do next? Yeah. Like that, I, I think the people that do the best are the ones that grow steadily and sturdily over years. And I'm very happy that I never blew up. And you think that's what managed to maintain that level of being yeah. humble and staying you? I, I really, I couldn't pinpoint anything else. So I, I, that must be, must be part of it. Well, whatever it is, it's cool. And I think that a lot of youth should look up to you in terms of that around social media for sure. I got some kind of finisher questions, uh, just three of them that are themed that everyone gets to answer and someday I'll tie them all together. So if you could leave one piece of advice behind for that next generation or a family member you were leaving, you had to leave one thing behind, what would it be? Join TikTok. I'm just kidding. Um, No, I would say, I would say what I would have told myself, you know, everything takes 10 times plus longer than what you think it will. And uh, you just got to stick it out if you love it. Oh, this is fun. I love this. So what is one thing that you yourself are really focused on learning right now? Sports card business. I've, I've been holding cards in my hand this entire time. I'm obsessed with it. And I think it's going to be as big, if not bigger than the sneaker game was in its prime within the next two years. And I'm really looking forward to when it hits that point. The sports cards. Is it mostly uh, new cards that are pretty popular as far as that goes? Because I see you opening packs, obviously. Yeah, it's a combination. I think the new cards are what the kids are mostly into. But then, you know, the OGs that have been in the game know that the Michael Jordan rookies are going to you know, end up being worth the most because people already know how many are out there, you know, whereas some of the newer stuff you don't. And they're always releasing new products and all that. So older cards are definitely safer investments. But um you buy, like you see Luka Doncic, for example, who was the rookie of the year uh, last year, his rookies fluctuate hundreds of dollars in a matter of a week, you know, even while they're not playing. It's just, that's how crazy the market can be. It's buying a stock in a player. And I think a lot of companies and startups and tech companies have tried this, creating a stock market for athletes. They're wrong. They can't do it. It already exists. It's sports cards. That's, that's, that's you buying a share yeah. of stock in an athlete. Once that really gets around people's heads, every sports fan is going to be into it. And 50% of uh, people in the world are sports fans. So I just think from a numbers standpoint, it's going to be really big. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and this, this one's interesting, a little tough to explain, but it adds value. I'm going to use it as a piece of content for myself. I think that when we're stuck in our own tunnel vision or in our own projects, sometimes it's hard to think of things that others might think of as good ideas. So if you were to ask me a question that my answering for my audience would add value to them or clarity, like what's a question that you think I could answer? Something you would ask me based off what you know. That's a good question. What's the biggest thing that you've learned from working with a lot of these people who aren't in the best positions. What's the, the best thing that you've taken away and you would love everybody to know slash understand? 
I'll think about it. I always like to think about it, go for a walk and figure it out. But I do have a short answer already. And it's just that we're all the same. You know, like I go in to work with a 16 year old who's uh, committed murder. It's like, we're pretty damn similar. There's like 0.000 percentage of something that's different. And, uh, and I think that's the biggest thing is that we're all so alike between races, geography, doesn't matter, socioeconomic status. It's like, there's not much different, you know? And then, but in the news and in the media and all these things, we quickly judge. When you get to know people, there's shit that happened that are circumstances, but we're not that different. Yeah, that's probably the biggest. Got it. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's been a pleasure being able to ask you questions. The fact you carved out time in your busy schedule, I appreciate. And if if there's any way that we end up working together ever in the future or... If nothing else, being able to point kids towards your content is going to add a lot of value. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be the second guest, right? That's a great question. Uh, so Some, it's, it's, weird. Like well, the first. it's weird with podcasts, right? Like because you record and edit. So you're the third recording. Got it. I honestly think you might be the first guest. Wow. So, well, the way my content, what the plan is or what my vision is anyways, which sometimes a little too crazy for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why 2020 for me has been clarity is like I take Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours mm-hmm. and I want to blow that thing up because I want people to try more often. So yes. I want to show them more like Tim Ferriss. The number I picked was 200 hours. Okay. I get, get super vulnerable. I'll go try learning dance for 200 hours. Go try learning wow. how to be a YouTuber for 200 hours. So I was doing filmmaking. I recorded a couple really cool episodes. Um, one with a pretty big YouTuber. And then I was, then Corona happened the next week. Like, wow. wow. Great. So I'm doing online business instead. Cool. So for 200 hours, I'll do online business. But I was like, well, YouTube in my basement with online business, like that sucks. So add the podcast. So what I'm going to do is 200 hours will be, the YouTube video and the podcast will always align. Point being, right now, the first topic's gonna be online business. So you'll you'll probably be up first, you know, like this idea of starting businesses. And then podcasting's gonna be the second topic. So the podcasters will come in next. So you'll be right up there at the beginning anyways, one of the first. Cool. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And uh, if you ever need anything, you know where I'm at. Likewise. All right. All have right. a good day. All right, that was a fun one. As they say in sports, nothing left but the crying. Thank you to our guest, Buster. That guy's going places. I mean, he already has, but it's going to be pretty cool to see what he gets up to next. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this one, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. But most importantly, tell someone who might just appreciate it. Until the next episode of Learn, all the best. And remember, just keep learning.